Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. So this week we have on my good friend, Liz Belts, who is a jeweler and a blacksmith and my nemesis. And... <laughs> <laughs> and she decided to talk about um creating custom swords for people basically which is a a very specific a very niche topic but i i think in some ways very broad in, in fact you could even say very broad sword oh boy <laughs> i don't know what i expected but <laughs> no I, I i do agree with you though i think that it is a, a relatable topic i i have personally worked uh on commission on occasion doing custom pieces for people i i am not quite as connected to the experience as liz is maybe which i i think is great honestly i, I think a lot of us find it frustrating not definitely very satisfying but it's it's much harder than working for yourself because i think all artists really really don't want to disappoint the person that they're working for and we're not psychic and sometimes it's very difficult to make sure that you're doing what the person wants so i do find that that particular aspect of it very stressful just making sure that i i make this person happy as happy as possible but so it was very refreshing to hear liz talk about the ways that she finds it exciting and why yeah and and i think it's interesting because she has such a such a specialized viewpoint of the product that she makes basically that she gets to have a really unique experience with with people that we might not have either as artists or you know in in that sort of sense so but we'll let her take it away Um, see, now I'm not going to be able to introduce it normally because you've gotten me on a on a weird mood. Um, do you want me to do it? No, it's fine. I can do it. Now I have to do it to spite her. Hello and welcome <laughs> to Audio Art. Wait. I'm going to... Um, I'm sorry, Anne, that this is the energy you have to deal with now. The, uh, the, the adult JPC comparison is clearly quite accurate. Dude. <laughs> well, Liz, a stranger whom I've never met, thanks for coming on our show and, and talking to us about whatever thing you're going to talk about. Hi, random strangers. <laughs> I've just <laughs> decided to hijack this podcast briefly, I guess, just to say, <laughs> hello, my name is Liz Belts. I do blacksmithing and I'm also a jeweler. And I thought I would hijack today to, I guess, strangely talk about for me... I enjoyed doing custom work for people where we had just like the interaction between me and them and like getting to know who they are to basically make the exact thing that they want and not just that but like on a deeper level which is kind of weird. It's kind of hard to put into short words. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well that's what you're gonna get an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Woohoo! But no maybe start off kind of talking a little bit about how about just talking a little bit about kind of blacksmithing in general and then we can dive dive a little deeper into the process you go through when you do custom work. Okay, well, for blacksmithing, I kind of do a small variety of things, but my main focus with smithing is bladesmithing. So I really enjoy making different fantasy kind of inspired weapons and like making them practical sort of thing. It's a challenge that I absolutely love trying to take on. And the process really is for me quite enjoyable because it's I mean yeah you deal with insane heat and a lot of loud noises for the most part but I guess it's that high energy that you need it feels really good to let out after you know having a long week or something and just 
I guess not being able to, because I'm a person who doesn't, which is, this is going to sound weird now that I'm actually talking. I don't talk normally about <laughs> things. I tend to just kind of exist and deal with it myself and like have internal arguments with myself about why I'm upset about things or, and dumb things of that nature. So forging just like lets me physically get that out of me, I guess, and take on basically this weird medium of I could bend something that is like even the hardest things can be morphed. So it's like this weird kind of deep thing for me where if things were really bad, like as bad as they were, I could still kind of change it by making the next week better in a way or try to like focus on that. So it's like this weird thing where I'm allowed to just kind of pretend to, I guess, fix things by breaking things. <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> Breaking it, to, I guess, to make something else. So this is like the, the traditional kind of slightly cartoony concept of blacksmithing, right? Where you have, you know, like a hot piece of metal that you smack with a hammer against an anvil rather than like anything else people might be thinking of, like casting with metal or something, right? Correct. I don't have nearly the equipment I would love to have to do any kind of like large scale casting. And even then to do anything with steel casting wise is factory level <laughs> kind of equipment. It requires a, more than one person because I played around with iron pores in college. We had to break up radiate old radiators and things like that. And there was like a small army of us, like an army of 20 of us, like in the dead of winter, breaking up different iron <laughs> and stuff so that we could throw it in this big, this big cauldron, essentially, that we would set on fire. And then it's like... It's the gross Ohio winter where it's like rain, but it's cold and it's icy and it's just generally gross. And I just like the whole time we were doing that stuff is kind of a blur, though. It's one of those things where the only thing I distinctly remember is going to Chipotle for the first time afterwards. <laughs> but I tend to just work in a traditional sense. You, know, you kind of covered briefly the process you go through and, and what that means to you. Let's talk more about like the custom part, which is the sort of sitting down with someone wanting to make something for them. Walk us through a little bit like that, that process of like, are you, you know, is there sort of like the, like a consulting process? Like what are those steps throughout that life cycle of like a project like that when you're working directly with someone? Well, normally the custom kind of starts where if I'm out like in a, at a show or something, somebody approaches me be like, Hey, can you make something for me that's a little different than this? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we kind of have this very just like casual conversation where we're just kind of talking about, you know, kind of a basic idea of what they're looking for, whether or not I feel comfortable being able to take on the task or basically explaining the different modifications that I would have to do in order to complete whatever they want. And we just kind of rough it out. And I mean, through that process, we tend to joke a lot too. Like, uh, for example, I'm currently working on Excalibur from the British TV show Merlin for someone. And she approached me and was just like, nobody even knows what that show is. Why? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I understand. Like, I don't, I haven't watched it, but I know what it is. And I thought it was really cool. She's like, thank you so much. My God. <laughs> like, she was freaking out over the fact that I even knew the show existed, let alone that I was just like, I was freaking out over the fact that it's Excalibur. <laughs> it's Excalibur. It's one of those things where probably every bladesmith just jokingly says, "Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this." I'm like, "Nah, son, I'm gonna do this." 
Um, <laughs> so like we both share this really deep excitement and I almost always share this kind of thing with whoever I'm working with because it's one of those things where if I don't get as excited, if not more so, about whatever piece, I don't think I would be able to comfortably make it for them. Because if I'm not putting the heart and the energy into it that it deserves, I would feel bad about it. I want to make sure that, you know, I don't get... Because with my personal projects, I tend to get lazy, which is why I haven't really done anything for myself in a long time. But it's a weird thing where if I can share this excitement with somebody else and we're kind of feeding off of each other, it gives me the drive to keep going in that regards. So it's this weird thing where, it's, like I said, it's this mutual feeding off of each other, I guess. We pump mm -hmm. each other up. I mean, they get excited about the final project and everything, and I'm super stoked about starting it. And then we normally will share like emails and stuff afterwards to kind of fine tune the details. I'll give them an estimate, that and the other. But throughout the whole thing, I like to, you know, send pictures of progress. So if, you know, I, let's say I'm, I'm making a sword for somebody, I'll start with all the pieces, just everything that I bought to make the thing and show them it's like, this is, you know, everything that I have sort of thing. Um, if there's any change in materials you want, like you don't like this color or something, we can change that now. It's best to. And then as I'm working on it, like I'll forge out the blade again, send it like basically so they're building it with me sort of thing. Where if there's at any point they're unhappy, they can stop me and be like, hey, can you actually do this instead? I'm like, sure. Versus here, I made the entire sword. Oh, you don't like it. <laughs> Welp. <laughs> what am I to do now? Because I've done that with smaller scale jewelry stuff before. I make tiny sword pendants out of nails. So it's kind of the same thing, but on a really itty bitty scale. Mm -hmm. And I've done that once where I used a color that I thought was just like, yeah, that'll be fine. She's like, oh, no, I actually want like a light blue, not like this deep navy. I'm like, oh. Huh. Well, it's kind of glued to the... You know what? I'll just start over. We'll just get back to you on that. Give me another week. <laughs> and since then, it was like, well, that was a dumb thing on my part. <laughs> but it really is this unique feeling of sharing sharing excitement with an, a stranger. Someone you have no idea you know, what their life is like outside of that moment that you're sharing with them. But the fact that you have this ability to connect with somebody about some dumb little thing that, you know, I mean, to some people, it's a dumb little thing. To other people, it's it's something that they've wanted forever and have basically been on this quest to find and finally are coming close to succeeding in this quest. So it's, it's a really cool thing to help people out, I guess, in finally getting exactly what they want while also just having, basically having a ball in the process, just joking around with them throughout doing things of that nature and i mean i think that's why i enjoy it so much if it wasn't for the fact that i had to have money to live i would probably just do custom works just to do it because of the interaction it's a weird thing that i don't i haven't experienced in any other way like it's it's hard to like when you know somebody and you talk to them it's different than when you have a stranger that approach you and I guess, think that you're good enough, <laughs> which is another thing that's just like, oh, you think I'm that good and you want something from me that's 
really important to you. It's this almost kind of crazy weight that you're weight and responsibility that you're given, but you're happy to take because it's a it's a unique challenge to overcome, I guess. And to really just make them happy, like to make somebody you have no idea who they are happy. How is your creative process different, do you think, in maybe more specific ways when you're working on something for yourself versus working on something as a commission? Do you think that it affects how you do details in a positive way? Have you ever had times where somebody suggested something and it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's going to work way better than what I was going to do? Have you had the reverse happen? Where you were like, oh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give them what they want anyway? Uh, Yeah, actually. I mean, with when I do personal projects, I tend to just dive right in. I don't mm-hmm. do any mock-ups. I don't, I don't do sketches. I don't do any sort of miniature kind of diagram for myself. I just say, oh, what the heck? We'll grab this. We'll grab that. See what happens. Oh, I screwed this part up. That's okay. We'll just make it look like this now. And I'll just work with my mistakes versus starting over. And when I do something for somebody else, I feel like I take it a lot slower. I'm a lot more methodical. I plan it out a lot more. And there's a beauty in both. When I do stuff for myself and I just jump into it, it allows me to just play. I can figure out, you know, what works, what doesn't work so that I can then use that for when I have to do something a certain way. So you trying to figure out different patterns, different shapes, how the metal moves at different temperatures, things of that nature while I'm playing around myself. And then I can transfer that over. But when I do something, when I do a commission, I feel like I have to do it right because I want to do right by them. I want to make sure they're getting the very best that I can do versus when I do things for myself, I'm just kind of like, Matt, we'll just throw this trash can onto here and we'll call it art. Yeah, this is good. I'm good. And I don't know. It's a weird way where I almost put Uh, I put other people and their stuff a little bit higher up than I guess my own in a sense, but not in a bad way, I don't think. It's one of those things where I, I guess I'd rather do things for somebody else than not know what I want and then try and have that existential crisis where it's just like, I don't know what I want. I need to make things. Oh God, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And then you just spiral. (laughs) Because that's my life a lot. (laughs) So it's like having that ability to be grounded is very, very nice. And it forces me to just do the very best that I can, maybe in different ways that I hadn't thought of before. And there's been a couple times where I've talked. uh, I haven't necessarily talked with people who've commissioned me and gotten ideas from, but in fact, have gone out to other smiths and reached out. I was like, hey, I want to try and do, do this technique. Do you have ideas? And sometimes they'll say, you know, the, what you're thinking of is, is good. Like, use that technique versus this. Or sometimes they'll just be like, you can't. No. No. Physics says you can't even do that. <laughs> Why are you trying to do that? Like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, no, you can't. You can't, no, that's just not how it works. So it's one of those things where because I'm still, I'm like intermediate blacksmithing at this point, I still have so much more to learn and I guess understand about the craft. But getting that guidance while I'm working is amazing. 
because when I <laughs> hit a wall, I can reach out to not just blacksmiths, but sometimes I even talk to my, my mentor at work, who's a jeweler, because even on that small scale can be transferred over to steel on a large scale because metal tends to work in similar fashions. It's just a matter of force and heat in order to make it move the way you want it to. And just being able to bounce that kind of stuff off of other people really helps. And concept-wise, people that commission have really unique ideas. And they're always the people who are just like, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, but like, I'm, I'm not an artist or anything. I just think, and I, hearing that just kind of hurts, I guess, because you don't have to be an artist to have a good idea. Like, you don't have to be an artist to have great ideas. You can have great ideas in other ways. You just may not be able to execute it. And that's fine. That's why collaboration exists and why more of it should be done, in my opinion. But it's always been, I don't know, it's always been kind of weird in that sense, I guess. Do you ever have a preference where someone comes to you with like a really detailed plan versus if someone comes to you with like a, hey, I have like an idea or like a, almost like a couple sentence prompt and they really don't have any other leads? Is there a, like a start that you prefer or do you kind of just work with whatever someone comes to you with? I prefer people that have like more of an idea of what they want mm -hmm. because in the past I have worked with people that are just like, I want this or like, I want a keyblade. I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, what, what kind of keyblade? Just a keyblade's fine. <laughs> but what, <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're trying so hard to just pick away at their brain and dissects you know exactly what they want and it requires so much more effort and you're almost exhausted by the end of it and you kind of just want to get the project done and out of the way because it kind of it ruins it almost i mean not i don't want to say it ruins it that's over exaggerating but it does put a damper on it i guess like a, a project that might have ended up being you know really enjoyable suddenly becomes frustrating because the person's being indecisive and i understand like when you some people have no idea how the whole process works so like i have no problem if you if they're if, like if you ask and just say hey i want this but i don't have details what should i think about i guess because some people don't know what materials are even options i guess so like you can get different colors via copper brass uh, nickel silver there's patinas which are just surface treatments that you can put on to get brighter colors like bright reds deep blues greens and nobody knows that you can do that a lot of people assume that it requires like a powdered paint or something or body paint things of that nature in order to get a color it's like no you can have this metallic look versus this more plasticky look and it changes things because you have to get i guess more or more natural looking colors like you can't have a neon pink anything <laughs> from metal <laughs> um at least not that i've seen thus far <laughs> uh, if somebody knows how to make neon pink please tell me <laughs> Cause that sounds fun but 
it's this weird thing where it becomes like this this lack of understanding i guess on both parties where i don't understand exactly what they want because they don't entirely know what they can get so it becomes like this short conversation with the commission part and more of a conversation about you know what i do generally and what i could do and then it allows them time to think on it and get back to me because i mean it is hard when you have no idea what how anything is actually done you don't know how to approach it sometimes like i get intimidated asking really for anything that's done digitally because it's just like I want this thing. I want this thing. I just like c- color me a picture on the internet. <laughs> and they're just like, uh, right? I'm like, yes, with the Photoshop. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it's because I don't, I don't know the process. Like I, at one point I wanted to do animation and that kind of stuff, but hey, yo, I hate computers and I threw that out the window pretty fast. <laughs> but it's, it really is a thing where you don't know. You just simply do not know. And that's okay. It's okay to not know things. But it's not okay when you just assume that you can get a thing without, I guess, being able to communicate your idea clearly. And then get kind of angry when I ask for more information. Like, hey, I can't just do this. I need... You need to tell me things? You can't just make a keyblade. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, have to, I have to price this out for you. Yes, you have to pay. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where... I mean, it's obviously, like, you always get the people who are just dense, I guess. Don't even want to try to do any level of understanding. They're just like, no, do this now. And you kind of sit there and you scream internally. <laughs> but you have to be nice because you're in public. And, you know, also you got you have an image to kind of keep up, even though you're just a dork. But you still have a kind of a thing to do, I guess. And that's where the rough part comes in, but... It's so far in between with people that I've really only had one person that was like that in the history that I've been doing it, which is a whopping three years. Hey, um, one, one person <laughs> in three years is a pretty good... Like, I mean, those odds good. are pretty good. They are pretty good. <laughs> pretty good but it's just record. like, it, it's, it's also just a weird thing to be like, yeah, I've done this for three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, 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 well, I almost called it a double-edged sword, which maybe was a poor choice of Hey-o. metaphor. <laughs> okay, Emily. The, the, the double-edged sword is that, like, any any creative art form that you don't really understand and you don't have experience with is basically indistinguishable from magic, which can be, you know, a really bad thing when somebody's trying to commission you because they don't understand what is and isn't possible, and that can be very frustrating for both of you. But I think it also means that sometimes when they see an end result, they don't really completely understand how you got there and it raises their amazement level so i'm curious you said that you have met people at shows and that that's part of how you get commissions what i mean you probably don't have a typical customer but who are these people who are coming to you and asking for say a sword and what are they planning to do with it are they off to fight a dragon i'm very curious why why (laughs) people would i mean i know why i might want a sword but i don't know why they would want a sword a lot of the time it's just to have like just a replica of something But Mm -hmm. with their own personal touch, because people are affected by a lot of, I mean, TV shows, movies, just books, things of that nature. And it impacts them so deeply that they almost want to live it by having this thing, by having this sword to just kind of feel like they have that kind of ability to step in, if even for a brief moment, to this other world. And it's really kind of this thing where... I. Most people just stick it on a wall. (laughs) But 
for like knives and stuff that I've made, people will keep it on their person. So it becomes more of, you know, whether it be used for hunting or just kind of weird everyday use to like, I tend to use my knives to open up my thousands of Amazon boxes because I have a problem. Uh, and just different weird things, just like weird around the house things where it's like, oh, I could use scissors, but I have this knife. I absolutely just pictured you opening an Amazon package with Excalibur. Yep. It just imagine full size. full size, just swinging at it. Inside is a vase. It's broken. I have to return it. Say that USPS just broke it. My box came like this. I mean, I mean, and and you joke about this. There, I there were moments where because we used to live together, uh, I would walk into the room and she would be like on the floor sanding a sword. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was my first baby. That was my it's precious. True. That was my precious child. I mean, still, a, he still is my precious child. I carry him <laughs> to all of my shows. But yes, I do a lot of weird things. <laughs> In that sense, I do a lot of, I do a lot of, okay, this is a little off track, but it was because of the story of walking in and sanding a sword. I've scared my postman before (laughs) because I was outside grinding and like there was a point where I didn't, I didn't used to work on Wednesday. So every Wednesday I would be in the garage working. And so I was like foraging and then I was sanding and I was grinding and then I hit the end of it. And, you know, this guy has seen me every Wednesday outside being a weirdo doing God knows what. And he's getting curious. So he just like pretends to hang out at my mailbox to see what the heck I'm doing. And I am at the point where the blade of the sword is all polished. I just get the handle on it and everything. I'm swinging it around in broad daylight. Just like, hell yeah, look at me. And the post guy pulls up. Throws the mail in the mailbox, and I've never seen a man drive faster in such a tiny vehicle. And it's that sense of strange joy that I get, I guess, where it's so bizarre in this day and age to see somebody with a sword and just kind of have this childhood joy of just flailing around. I mean, when you're little, you pick up a stick, of course, you pretend it's a sword. But when you're an Mm -hmm. adult and you have that sword, you go back to that childhood moment where it's just like, Oh yeah, I could really do some damage right now. I'm gonna like <laughs> cut open a water bottle and throw this at a bale of hay or something and kill a watermelon. <laughs> and you just start having all these ridiculous but very fun, dumb ideas, I guess, that you don't really act upon. But it's nice to just kind of play around with. And it's a really cool thing where every time I guess you either if you have it on your wall or you just kinda have it you know, beside you or something, you can kind of go back to that brief childhood giddiness because it's just one of those things that you were told you couldn't have, I guess, or you shouldn't have because it's dangerous or you're going to poke somebody's eye out, Billy. Don't you dare do that. <laughs> um, and it's a weird thing because like as an adult, you have this sense of responsibility and you have to do all the stuff, but to still be able to have that fun and jump into this fantasy world that maybe you grew up with was a part of your childhood and now you have a piece of it that you can hang on to and maybe even pass down to your kids why but what else are you gonna do with a sword 
other than <laughs> give it to somebody. I don't know if, you know, passing down swords is still a thing, but why why not bring that back? We could use more swords in our homes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty clear that the symbology, the, the symbolic power of swords has, has lasted much, much longer than their, their real practical usefulness, that they've they've maintained this this status in our sort of cultural awareness that they're such significant objects is that why i mean you you at some point i assume you decided hey i like working with metal that's cool did you decide that you liked the techniques first or did you did you start out wanting to make swords specifically actually when i was little in middle school i used to make wooden swords with a couple of my friends and we'd go into the woods and we'd beat each other up We'd go out in the middle of the night and we played this game called Ninja, where we'd split up into teams, we'd hide in the woods of this park, and then we'd basically make these dumb military military uh, plans to like flank each other and just fight each other and give each other bruises with these dumb wooden swords that we made. So for, for what feels like forever, I've always had a love for bladed weaponry, but metal itself wasn't something... I had con- even considered at that time. It was actually my oldest brother who, when I was still very young, had gone to college and went for jewelry and medals at, in Cleveland. And it was one of those things that just kind of always stuck with me. And he was always making these very gorgeous pieces. It was, I mean, a lot of his stuff was religious based because that's just who he is. Mm-hmm. But to make something so, so immaculate out of seemingly nothing boggled my tiny little brain and it was something that basically held on back burner in a sense metal wise but he helped me get into art just by letting me sit there and just stare at him like a dummy for hours on end and when I finally you know had the choice to go to college I was like yeah I want to do art but I always thought it was going to be animation because I had all these stories that I wanted to tell. And then I took my first computer class and it really sucked. So I was like, well, <laughs> can't do this anymore. I will go insane. So I, you know, thought back for a while. I'm like, well, my my brother did jewelry medals. I guess I could take a class and see what it's like. And so I did. And just being able to work with your hands and create something tangible I guess, is what won me over. Because it's one thing to, I guess, for me to draw something. Like, I could draw anything that I want to, but I can't do anything with it. Like, I could draw a sword, but it's not a sword. It's still just graphite on paper. But with the power of basically doing a combination of sculpture and metalworking, I could bring that into existence. I could bring something that's fantastical and just outright non-existent into existence. And that was just something that won me over. And I was like, this is what I need to do. And I didn't get into bladesmithing even until my last semester of senior year. It was one of those things where it's just like, oh, now I have time. Great. Let's play around. And I made my first knife there, which was really crummy. And not any remote sort of tempered or anything. It was just really bad. And I don't have it anymore. I'm pretty sure I just threw it in the trash. Uh, but it it gave me this idea to go take a workshop in bladesmithing. And, you know, there was a group of these really hardcore jewelry metal workers in my class that were just like, yeah, we're going to go to this place called Touchstone. And we're going we're gonna to go out in the woods and we're going to do art. And I'm like... 
that sounds terrifying, but can I go? And so I did. It was in the summer. You, you sleep in a spider-infested shack and you just take classes for a week. And so I did. I was the only woman in uh, the bladesmithing class and was promptly made fun of on a regular basis because of it. Frequently had the talk of, oh, your lady jeweler hands. Things like that that just like, you know, obviously got under your skin and surprisingly pushed me to just be like, nah, I'm going to show all these MFers what I can do. <laughs> and I did. I ended up making... Uh, I made a fishing knife. It has the ability to flay and it has a gutting hook built in to the other side. The instructor was so impressed that he wanted me to go meet his mentor after the fact. So I, I ended up going to some odd months after the workshop was over. I, I met with him again and I met his mentor and we sat there and we talked for hours hours and hours and he made me my first forge which i still have and it was just this amazing connection on just their history with smithing and all the fascinating things that you can do with a stupid piece of metal just like rebar there's a you can make so many amazing sculptures with a single piece of rebar if you know how to use the techniques to your advantage because when you forge, you're not ever getting rid of material unless you do any cutting. What you're doing is you're pushing and you're forming the metal, like a piece of clay. You're not so much removing as it is you're just squishing it into the shape you want it to be. And then towards the end, you can choose to, you know, file and grind away to perfect it more. But it's something that is really, has still obviously really fascinates me that you can make something out of seemingly nothing and it still have this sense this feeling of power i guess to it too because it is it is a blade it could be used as a tool and it's just a really weird thing that i guess i find and like a lot of things where you can make a box of electricity go onto the internet and talk to somebody else like <laughs> who did that <laughs> who did that who thought yes let's electrify this rock and make it do things it's one of those weird little fast i mean not little but i guess i have that childhood fascination with everything because i'm easily impressed <laughs> by the world i don't know it's it's a, it's a weird thing where i guess it's, it doesn't take much for me to get excited about things just everything but at the same time it's terribly difficult for me to keep that excitement sometimes but with the ability of bringing something on paper into somebody's hands is something that you're you're giving them a chance to have this feeling that they wouldn't be able to have any other way unless of course they just went to a paper mache frenzy and uh <laughs> decided to try that out but don't think you're cutting any watermelons there see now now i want to have like a project for you where i'd be like hey liz make a paper mache sword <laughs> so that i can cut a watermelon with it well there is that one guy I don't know if you've ever seen, he's made many videos where he's turned, like, gelatin into a knife. Oh, yes. Huh. 
So that guy could probably do <laughs> I don't know how because he's a freaking wizard. And it's just like, here, I'm just going to bake this for a very long time. Congratulations, it's sharp and can cut through like a phone book. Like how? How did you do that? <laughs> You're literally using something that I consume on a regular basis to cut a phone book? No, I, I just, I think it's, I mean, granted, I know you, but... I know how excited you get about things. I know how wondrous you find things. And I think part of the process that you go through in making something for someone is sort of a way to impart that wonder onto them. And um, I think that's really cool. Oh, thank you. And it's, I guess it's always nice too to kind of share each other's worlds because sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own that we don't venture out to see what everybody else's world is like and to catch their perspective and their personal preference on things is really cool because it's also kind of enlightening because sometimes you just don't think about it that way and when you're suddenly shown a different way it's like oh cool i've never even considered that before and i don't know knowledge is power power is School. Go to school, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, sword, swords are supposed to be a quest, right? You know, that's that's kind of the mythology of them, that, that that's something that you either need to go on a quest or something you get at the end of one. So I think it, it makes sense to have that be meaningful for people's lives like whether you're making it or you're the one receiving it although i have i have a practical question about that how do you get swords to people do you how do you ship a sword <laughs> um, do you ship them so far evan i haven't had to ship a sword but when i finally make rail splitter i'll get back to you on that as i said to <laughs> travis mcelroy <laughs> how do i mail an axe <laughs> <laughs> do I snap, do I put a potato on it and then slap a stamp on the potato? <laughs> Your mailman's already afraid of you. I don't... Well, no, we got a new mailman, so it's fine. They don't. <laughs> they don't know yet. <laughs> they don't know the traumas yet. They'll soon learn. <laughs> but I really don't know how. I mean, they obviously have like elongated boxes and stuff, and you mm -hmm. probably just have to encase it in bubble wrap. Yeah. Yeah, and probably uh, tell your tell your post office, hey, this is a sword. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if something pokes out at the bottom, don't worry about it. It's just a sword. <laughs> Here, here's the trick. Here's the trick. You don't ship it through the post office. You ship it through UPS. They don't care. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So many times I've just been like, you know what? I don't want to deal with USPS today. We're just going to... We're just going to go to Staples and we'll just give this to them and say, here, just take this. <laughs> they don't Put ask it questions. in a box and send it. <laughs> so then do you usually get to deliver your commissions in person? Is that is that the best part, seeing people's reactions? Yeah. Um, it's actually, it's really cool to, all of the stuff that I commission, I try to deliver personally whether it be meeting them like in a weird middle ground or just you know going to their house which i've done a couple times which i mean i've always been yelled at as like that's a safety problem like i know but it's fun <laughs> well you do have a sword with you <laughs> exactly it's like i do have this sharp object so i'll be fine um <laughs> and to see basically the unboxing and them just like oh my god like they see the pictures, they see the progress, they see all of that, but it's nothing compared to having it in their hands. It makes the dream real, I guess, where it's this, I don't know, almost Christmas day, you get your N64, it's the coolest thing ever, and you're absolutely in love, and you can still, you know, even years down the road, take a glimpse at it and still have that good feeling inside, I guess. 
think I've I can't think of anything else to Yeah, I think I think maybe on. my my one question this is probably not uh maybe not on, on record. <laughs> it should not be on record. I don't know if, it, <laughs> if it's allowed to be or not. This sounds terrible. It sounds like I'm I'm gonna ask you to make some kind of dragon killing sword and I don't want the dragon to know. Yes. No, I was I was curious about uh about the ring you made for, for Clint McElroy. <laughs> Just <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe that's an off mic question. Yeah, maybe an off mic breathe. I yeah. still can't exist. <laughs> I still can't exist. Yeah. Well, it was also this thing where he told me exactly what he wanted. I did it digitally and everything. It was just like one of those things where it's just like I was holding it. I'm like, this is a Taz ring. Oh, <laughs> and like I, I have this weird like fangirly moment where it's well even more of a fan because I was freaking out over the fact that Clint was just like, "Hey, do this," and I was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah," <laughs> um, and just like have it having it be like because I had listened to all of the Adventure Zone and mm-hmm. the story was just absolutely amazing and it still brings me to tears and is I mean no matter what it is it's still gonna get to you sort of thing but. I guess having that made me feel like it was more than just a story. Um, at that point, it became a lot more than just a story holding that ring, where I know it obviously means so much to him to have that ring, to have that kind of moment solidified into an object, like this really great moment that he, he had with his sons and went on this adventure with them. And it was... I don't know. It it felt really cool to just kind of share that moment with with him in a weird way, I guess. Even if it was never really spoken, you just kind of know, I guess, how important something actually is because of what they what they really want it to be turned into, I guess. Like it's to some people it's just a really cool podcast, but to them and to Clint, I think especially, it's a lot more than that. It's something that He'll, he'll remember forever because it was even, you know, as his sons are adults and like having their own lives, they still, they're still a close family, which is very, very hard to see and keep in this day and age. I think so many people just, you know, move apart and kind of fade away from each other and not necessarily on purpose. It's just you get away from everything. It's like that thing where you fall into your own world and you kind of forget what everybody else's is like. And you don't mean to do it. You just lose track of time, I guess. And for him to just, I guess, keep that moment in time and have, I guess, to be able to make that reminder was just like this really cool, deep, warm feeling inside, I guess. It gave it gave me the floofies on the heart stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you got to have that that kind of moment that I think your clients probably have of that uh you know manifest symbol of this this emotion this feeling of of something that they were really deeply connected with. That's cool. Thanks. I can only hope like that's something that s- stays. So I know like things go in and out of fashion, but I can't imagine that when you commission something that big you you're just gonna kind of forget about it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like no. the equivalent of like i mean you commission someone to make your like tattoo something onto you right. like yeah. you're not gonna just get rid of that <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> on you <ya. laughs> <laughs> when well, i think too it's it's 
a lot of cases, it's more than just a thing. It's a moment and it's a feeling, not only for the person receiving it, but for the person making it, clearly for you. And I think a lot of people in, in a lot of different ways can share that. But it's it, I think it's more than just a physical object in a lot of cases. Yeah. I mean, it's a physical object that tells a story. And sometimes it's, you know, just a little short thing. Or sometimes it's this very deep and personal story that affected somebody's life to a point that they felt the need to have it, I guess, as a reminder, have something made as a reminder of that moment. And it's an honor, really, I, I think, to be able to help keep that moment alive through something, um, whether that be a sword, a knife, uh, some weird jewelry thing, whatever it may be, to just kind of keep that keep that memory alive in a sense even if it's you know passed down to somebody else that memory changes it's not the same but it's still something important it's still a memory it becomes a memory of you know whoever gave it to them and all the things that they did for them and i mean i think that's why in general people pass things down like why heirlooms exist because it's holds so much personal importance it could literally be a rock. You could be given a rock. But <laughs> if it was a rock given to you by your grandfather, whom you re distinctly remember being on their shoulders, going through the woods, and just feeling like you're taller than the trees themselves, and just like are sent back to all these amazing moments, it's worth hanging on to this dumb little rock. And if you pass that rock to somebody else, they'll have the memory of the things that you had done for them. And hopefully that's just something that continues on and on where the story cha may change, but the importance doesn't. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get like weird and hardly emotional there, but like it's what happens when I think out loud. <laughs> you should do it more often. Oh, I, ta I would terrify myself if I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liz, thank you so much for... You know, it's always fun to hear you talk about the stuff that you love. I mean, since day one, since we met. But I'm, I'm. Thank you for coming on and and sharing this with both of us, and then whoever's yeah. listening to this. <laughs> well, thank you. I was honored when you're just like, "Hey, Liz, do you want to do this thing?" I was like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> Have me talk for forever? Sure, it's your curse. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media if they want to find your work? Uh, what projects do you want to plug? Whatever, you know, if you have upcoming shows or something, um, this is your space, so go for it. Well, I'll be wrapped up with shows by them, but if you want to find me, I have several things that you can find me at. Uh, I have my website, which is lizthedragonsmith.com, and that's Liz with two Zs. You, I have an online shop there. You can contact me if you have commissions that you're you know been kind of playing around with and you're just like hey what's a budget and then i can help you because <laughs> that's also a thing that, that you know people always ask and don't know how to even go about it um you can also find me on twitter um at liz belts again with two z's um and belts as in also ends with a Z. I have a lot of Z's. I am a Z person. <laughs> um, and then I also have you know, a page on Facebook uh, where I tend to post a, more like events coming up. So different shows that I'm doing. If I happen to be in a gallery or something weird, I'm on Facebook. Again, uh, 
Liz the Dragonsmith. You can just pop that in and you'll find me. And that's that's pretty much it. I'm not huge on social media. I know I should be, but I'm lazy. You don't do you don't do a podcast with someone sitting here? No. No, I don't. I don't do this thing called Audio Armory, which is also, you know, a bi-weekly podcast that I uh, do with the local bard, Emily Cardamus, and I am the blacksmith, Liz Belts. That doesn't exist. Um, and we don't, you know, have a Twitter, you know, either. That's What's the Twitter? At, Audi- at, Audi- at Audio Armory Cast. Thank you. You did it. I'm yeah, so proud I'm of you. Yeah, I'm great at this. I sometimes remember stuff. Go brain. I, I'm proud of you, brain. You came through this time. But yeah, otherwise, I tend to just kind of scream on Twitter if you want entertaining things. Um, that's basically where where I go. Yeah, if you want updates on the latest injuries that you have from <laughs> pretty mu- work, pretty much. Uh, that's go where to Liz's I... Twitter. <laughs> if you want my injuries, go to Twitter. If you just want the art, go to Facebook. <laughs> but if you want the whole experience, you use Twitter. <laughs> well, thank you guys. This was like a lot of fun. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm you. sorry if I just kind of exploded and repeated myself a lot. Cause... No, you were great. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, I don't know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and if it made sense. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or go and visit your nearest blacksmith. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or if you didn't like the show, seek out the sacred sword that will make you the podcast slayer of legend. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. (laughs) 